0: So my name is Emily, and I am on the leadership team here and also on the teaching team. And I am excited to continue on in our series that we're doing right now called DTR, Exploring Relationship Dynamics. We are in the third week of this series, and when TC kicked us off a couple weeks ago, he said that one of the issues that we have in the church is that we don't have childlike faith, we have childish faith. And that our immaturity is holding us back from reflecting the beauty and the power of the gospel. TC said, We want to see the love of Jesus so overflow from our lives that people run to Jesus. But in order to do this, we have to talk about relationships. Because in and through relationships, we reflect the love of Jesus that we have received. So today, I get the privilege of talking about living in community. And community is a word that is one of our favorite Christian words. We have the Roots community, we have our community Facebook page. It's a word we throw around a lot. So to kind of narrow in on what I mean, um, I am focusing on 1 Thessalonians 2, 7b to 8, which says um, in one translation, We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This verse really strikes me because I love how Paul isn't like, I'm going to come in in an airplane and drop pamphlets on you guys. And these pamphlets all have the gospel in them. He says, not that he had an airplane, that wasn't an option. But (laughs) He decided to come, he didn't just send letters, he moved in with the Thessalonians. Uh, We know that he says specifically in that letter, like when I lived with you guys, I worked. So he was working there, he ate with them, he worshiped with them, he studied with them. So this morning I wanna focus on community as sharing our lives together. And sharing my life has been kind of something of a hobby or like a sociological experiment for me because I'm 30 years old and only nine months of those 30 years have I lived by myself. So um, I wanna share a couple stories I have of living in community, three stories, three things that I learned, and then some ways that we as Roots can grow in living in community. So to kick us off, the first story I wanna tell you guys about is during a time I lived in South Sudan. In 2011, I moved to South Sudan with um, a woman named Stephanie. And we lived at a Bible college in South Sudan with a group of about 20 refugees from Darfur. She had been working with them in a refugee camp and they had come to Christ and they really wanted to get Bible education. So the, the whole group of them moved to this Bible college and we lived with them. So this was our, our house. Um, it was a row of five rooms and the room I lived in was behind that orange curtain. So that was, that was my house or my room. There's a yellow jug next to the orange curtain. That's important in my story, so, so notice that. So that's my neighbor Hadiyah standing out of her room. So there are 20 of us like living in this uh, building. Um, and my friend Stephanie and, I, Stephanie and I shared the one room. It was about 12 feet by 12 feet, enough for two beds and um, a like, foot footlocker and stuff. So it was a very like living on top of one another kind of situation. We um, always did everything together in the morning. We got up, we had breakfast, we ate rice with our neighbors for breakfast, then we had Arabic lessons, and then we had English lessons, and then we all ate lunch together, and then we had Bible lessons, and then we all ate supper together, and then we would hang out and talk together. And I just remember one time thinking like, I am never alone. And I remember going to the outhouse and being like, Finally, I'm by myself and then there were like some little kids who were like trying to peek in through the doors of the outhouse And I was just like oh my goodness. I can't be Maybe this is how parents feel. There's just like no way to get away from anybody and This was the environment where I learned the first lesson I want to talk to you guys about about living in community and that is That community is the place where our true selves are exposed and changed Community is the place where our hearts come out, we can't hide anymore, and we get to be made new. And I learned this because of that yellow jug of water When I moved in, I didn't know the expectations around possessions in this community. I just assumed that community worked the way that I was used to, where what belongs to me belongs to me, and what belongs to you belongs to you. And maybe we share sometimes, but there's a very distinct line. That's not at all how things worked there. And I noticed something very odd. We didn't have running water, so we had to get our water from a well. This is a picture of my neighbor Ansaf, and she's a, a well pumping champion. And so during the day, if you wanted water for washing or drinking or cooking, anything you can imagine that you would need water for, <laughs> which is everything, go to the well and you'd pump one of these jugs full of water and then you'd lug it back to the house and stick it out on that uh, like ledge in front of the rooms that was something i that was kind of like a job that i did a lot and it was hard work because those things are heavy and i remember a couple days into doing this i began noticing we are going through our water really quickly like i lug this thing from the well and i put it down and the next thing you know like it's gone and i couldn't figure out what was going on i thought Maybe there's a leak. Maybe I'm not filling it as full as I thought I was filling it. Maybe Stephanie just uses tons of water. One day I was in our room and I kind of hear this like glug glug gurgling sound. And I like moved the curtain and I looked outside and there was just one of the guys just pouring water, washing his hands. And I was like, okay, that, sure, whatever. And then all throughout the day, i began paying attention. And when Stephanie and I were talking that evening, I said, Stephanie, everybody and their mother uses our water. She was like, yup. And I felt so angry about it because it was hard work and I did not want to share my water. I had, I like watched people fill a basin and wash their kid in that basin with my water. And I had to go refill it. That was the worst part. Nobody was like, oh, I used your water. Now I'm going to go refill it. So I had this expectation of like, that's mine. So then I thought like, okay, it's water, it's really hot here, we should share our water, it's not that big of a deal. But then this began like cropping up in other areas. So as a special treat, when I moved to South Sudan, I brought this really nice like luxury bar of soap because I knew like I would just want things that were different from the hot and the dust and like just to have something that smelled good and felt good. And we had these uh, wood-heated showers, and it was, like, glorious. But one day, I left my soap in the shower, and there was a visiting group of 20 pastors that came through. And in one day, my entire bar of soap was gone. (sighs) It was really hard for me. (laughs) And this happened with everything. I remember buying a a bag of flour from the market, and this one was like really, really broke me, because I had plans for that flour, and the next thing you know, that flour turned up in somebody else's bread. Uh, It happened with my headlamp. Hadia would borrow my headlamp without asking. My laundry powder would be all used up. People would just come in, I would buy stuff at the market, and then it would end up in other people's food. Nobody asked permission, nobody said thank you, nobody paid me back the money I used to spend it, and nobody bothered to think like, oh, maybe I had plans for that thing later on. And I thought, has no one heard of the little red hen? You buy the flower from the market, you get to use the flower. <laughs> the flip side of that, of course, was that my neighbors were super generous. It wasn't like they were just taking stuff from me and not offering in return. They. Everything that was theirs was also mine. But I was so used to the mindset of mine is mine and yours and yours that I wasn't bothering to try and use things from them. And when I read verses about greed in the Bible, I always was like, oh, I'm not a rich person. That doesn't apply to me. And in that moment living there, when I was griping about my water, when I was griping about my flower, when I was griping about my headlamp being missing again, I realized, like, wow, I am greedy, like really greedy. My heart is possessive. I want to own and I want to have and I don't want to share. And I was really shocked. Wow, I'm a greedy person. I never thought this was possible. And the point is that, is not that we shouldn't, that we should, that ownership is a bad thing or possessions are a bad thing. The point is that in that instance, my heart was revealed for what it was. And I think that that is what community does for you. Is that community is the place where our true selves are exposed and changed. This kind of revelation can only come when we're sharing life with people. Because it's very easy to think that you're a generous and kind and unselfish person when you live by yourself. I think married people know this very well. But individualism and independence and isolation cut us off from change. When we're in community, The things in our heart are revealed, things like selfishness, impatience, resentment, bitterness, putting ourselves first, the inability to listen to other people, running roughshod over people because we want to do things our way, keeping accounts of other people's wrongs. Basically, everything that's the opposite of love gets exposed. That comes to the surface, but the good news is that those things get exposed in community, but community is also the place where those things can get changed, where we find grace by living and working with each other to not only see, wow, this is a heart issue I have, but to find the resources we need for that heart issue to change. So through community, we can this is exposed and we can repent and be changed. So my next community experience took place in Louisiana. Um, In 2012, I got to spend a great year with some three really, really amazing women. Uh, I had been getting to know them at church. I was new to Louisiana. And their names are uh, Rachel, Melissa, and Shannon. And going to church, just hanging out with them a little bit. And they all knew each other from college and had been making plans to move into a house together. And one day, I get a phone call from Rachel, and she says, Emily, I want to talk to you, which always makes my heart rate go up. <laughs> oh my goodness, what did I do? And she said, I had a dream the other night, and I rarely have dreams. And in this dream, I dreamt that you were living with us in our house. And so I talked to the other girls, and we prayed about it, and we want you to come live with us. And I was like okay, there's four people, that's a three-bedroom house. Not Not really seeing how the math is going to add up. And she said, I, I have the master bedroom, and we can fit a twin bed in there. If you want to come live with us, I will share this bedroom with you. But who does that? Like, after college, what grown person is going to be like, come share a bedroom with me and my dog, which was probably the roughest part for me. Um, <laughs> So I moved in with them. I moved in with Rachel and Melissa and Shannon, and it was such a wonderful time. They're all older than me, and they're had they were also all therapists, which was <laughs> super great. It was like, God was like, you need a lot of help. i will stick you with three therapists. They, we, we used our house as a place of hospitality. So we had people over for meals all the time. We hosted game nights. They taught me about conflict resolution. They just, those three women, really, really poured into my life. And it was when I was living with them that I learned a second thing. That community is where we find the help to fight our battles. When I was living with them, I went through a really bad season of deep, dark depression. One particularly bad night, I was overwhelmed with thoughts of suicide and self-harm. I was angry, and I was sad, and I was scared. And I was by myself in the bedroom that Rachel and I shared in the back of the house. And I didn't know how to handle the emotions I had, so I just started tearing my room apart. I threw books on the floor, and I shoved my nightstand over, and I flipped my bed over, and I was tearing clothes off my hangers. And then I just curled up on the floor in my closet in this ball of pain and shame. The funny thing about throwing furniture around your room is that somebody might hear it. (laughs) So as I'm lying in the closet, I can hear Melissa and Shannon walking their way. They had been sitting in like the front porch of the house, like walking through the house, and I was like, oh no, they're gonna find me. And I just wanted to disappear, but I also really wanted them to find me, and I wanted them to love me, and I wanted them to still want me. So I heard them open the door, and they're kind of looking around, like, "Em, are you okay?" And Melissa walked over to the closet, and I just I said to her, "Go away. I don't I don't want you to be here." And she waited a beat, and then she crouched down and she laid on the floor of my closet with me, and she put her hand on my shoulder and she just started rubbing my back and just saying things that were true to me. "You're okay." i love you it's going to be okay we laid there on top of my pile of shoes for a while and then she helped me get out of the closet and then she and shannon just without a word just started picking things up putting books back on the shelf putting my hanger my clothing back on the hangers and they kind of like tucked me in bed and melissa sat next to me and she prayed for me and then she sang a song over me and I remember laying there and she finished singing her song and she said, I love you, and she kissed me on the forehead and then she walked out of the room. And I was laying there and as I fell asleep, I thought, I think this is what Jesus is like. I think that Jesus is the kind of person who when life gets to be too much for us, he climbs in the closet with us and lays on top of our dirty shoes and he sings to us and he holds us and he tells us that things are gonna be okay. Life is hard, that's not news. We have an enemy who's doing his best to steal and kill and destroy. That's what we're up against. There's a war going on all around us and he fights dirty. He bombards us with temptation. He attacks us with addiction and lies and disease and we cannot fight back on our own. At that moment, in my despair, I needed desperately to know that Jesus loved me, and my friends showed me that. They helped me to fight for life when the enemy was whispering death in my ears. We each have our own battles to fight, but these battles are not ours to fight alone. It's in community that we find the help to fight those battles. Then I moved here to Minnesota a couple years ago. Two years ago, I moved into an intentional living Christian community that lives in these three houses. Mine is the one in the middle, also known as the best house. (laughs) It's a group of about 20 adults and eight kids. We live in these three houses. And what unites us is that we have a shared love of Jesus and a commitment to each other to live purposely together. But otherwise, there's not one kind of person here. We're just kind of a group of interesting people. Uh, When we join the community, there's a commitment that we agree to of faith, purity, and simplicity. And we learn to love Jesus more by loving each other. We share a lot of life together. Um, If you saw texts that go around our community, there's a lot of shared life. Hey, you know, every Sunday we watch a Marvel movie together and inevitably there will be texts every weekend, I'm making breakfast at this house, anybody can come join. Texts like, "Um, we're starting a Whole30 challenge, does anybody want to join us? There's a big storm coming through, can you close my windows for me? I need somebody to help me set up chairs in the backyard. Can someone show me how to use the weed whacker? Can someone pray with me? We've got nachos in the backyard. And through that, through this community living experience, I've seen a third element of what it means to live in community. And that is that community is the place where we are cared for. So back in April, I started having really, really major car troubles. Felt like every week my car was in the shop or needed to be in the shop, and I was so frustrated. And it was also really, really expensive. It felt like my car was just this money pit, and I was just throwing money into it and nothing was changing. So, um, my friend Phil, who lives in one of these houses said, I can help you with this if, if it's the alternator, like I can get a new alternator in for you. And so, one evening we got together after work and we were like, this isn't gonna take long, a couple hours maybe. But the first thing we encountered was this stripped nut. It was a tough nut to crack. And we struggled with that stubborn nut for like, almost two hours it was awful and it kept getting darker and colder and darker and colder because you know april in minnesota is still winter and we had to go inside and get headlamps so we could see what we we're doing and flash it and by we i mean phil like i just stood there and was like wrench <laughs> screwdriver um we had to put on more of our clothing anyway we spent six hours out there and then two other guys from the community came out to help Um, It was such a pain and then a couple days later Phil had to tweak something and it snowed that day so this is him like in the snow fixing my car for me and I was so I Felt like Phil was in my car problem with me (laughs) I didn't feel like I was alone in it and I had so many people who blessed me during that time Um, People who gave me rides to and from the mechanic and auto parts stores, people who loaned me their cars. There was one community member who said to me, hey, I know you're having a really hard time with how expensive your car is. Can I PayPal you $100? And I was like, yes. People prayed for my car and I, I felt like, oh, people are gathering around me. The same time I was out for five days with the flu and I hurt my foot really bad and I couldn't walk on it without it being painful. So people picked up groceries for me. People brought me food. People checked in on me. People prayed for me. I missed out on Bible study, so people brought me a handout so I wouldn't be left out. Two community members came and prayed over my foot. And maybe this isn't the most Christian thing, but I'm always a little bit skeptical when people pray healing prayers. And that day, like they prayed over my foot and it stopped hurting. And that was wild to me and really encouraging and as frustrated as i was with like back to back my car is broken and my body is broken and my foot is hurting and i had a bunch of other bills come due i also felt all this joy because i was being so well cared for by the people i lived with and in very very practical ways so community is the place where we are cared for in community we take care of each other when we're sick when we're hurt when we need a hand up, when we want to celebrate. This is the essence of sharing life. I think many people would judge my three community living experiences as pretty extraordinary. But if all you heard today was that I have a cool life, that would kind of be a letdown. Because these things don't just apply to somebody living in a community house. This is for all of us, really, for all of us. This just happens to be the places where I learned these things, but we can all learn and practice them. So I wanna talk about how these three ideas, that community is a place where we are changed, that it's a place where we find help to fight our battles, and that it's a place where we are provided and cared for, I want to talk about what that might look like for us as roots, for how we can love one another. So I have five ideas for how we can build community. And the first one is to be purposeful about sharing life. I'm sure we've heard this, but Sundays are not enough. Although I believe community is built slowly and in increments, it's not built casually. It can only be built with great intention and purpose. We have to choose to be together. How many times have we said to somebody, hey, we should get together, and never followed through? guilty we need to commit to this what might this look like what if we built in regular times to be together every wednesday night we eat a meal with this person when i was growing up i lived i was my parents were missionaries in kenya so i grew up on a mission station and um for as long as i can remember my parents would have there would be different single women in single women missionaries in the community who we would have over for weekly dinners so like when I was in ninth grade, Monday nights were with Miss Andrea, and when I was in 10th grade, Tuesday nights were with Miss Robin. And it was just built into our family life of every week this person is coming over for dinner. And it wasn't every night of every week, but throughout the years, there were different people who would who come over. It was It was a structured, built-in thing. And if we don't plan and write these things down and put it in our calendars and seek each other out, we will continue to be bushwhacking on our own. We have to make this a priority. It's not optional to spend time with each other. It's not a nice add-on or, oh, that would be cool to have. Because community is vital to our growth and our discipleship. So if we're not doing this with intention and purpose, we're missing out on the ways that we are changed and transformed. We got to show up. The second thing I would say is that we need to beware of the things we hide behind. We have excuses. I think a big one is busyness. I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. My life is already full. How on earth would I squeeze another thing in? I'm afraid. I don't know if I want to let people into my life or my home. That doesn't feel very comfortable to me. It's inconvenient. I also think, this is something I've been thinking about, I hide behind the excuses of self-care and introversion. I'm an introvert, and so I will say, oh, I'm all introverted out, I can't spend time with people. Or, oh, I I don't know, I I probably shouldn't go to that thing, I need my introvert time. Or I, I just need to practice good self-care. I should stay home. Or I'll let other people go. It, this, is, this is me time. And don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is self-care and your personality don't, don't matter. What I'm saying is it's a problem when those become excuses. When those become I'm missing every single event and possibility and opportunity to be with people because somehow conveniently every time I could be with people I'm feeling introverted that day about that. Just, I think for me, that's been something that I've felt convicted of. And so it might be applicable to somebody else. Um, yeah, it's not, it's inconvenient. Beware of the things we hide behind. Number three, be open to the ways you can share your home and your life. I've had really extraordinary experiences, but I've also had experiences where very ordinary, kind, generous people who are not living in a Bible college in South Sudan, who are not living in a three-house community living situation, have opened their homes to me. These are just people who are um, people who love Jesus and who wanted to create a space for me. So I I have some pictures of uh, my friends. There's two, two families I'm thinking of. My friends Don and Amy When I graduated from college, my parents were still overseas, and for some reason the the college wouldn't let me stay in my dorm room after I graduated, so I didn't know where I was going to live, and I felt kind of stuck, and Don and Amy said, hey, we have an extra room in our house, we even have an extra car that you could borrow, why don't you come live with us? They lived in Louisiana, I didn't know anybody else in Louisiana. And I was like, okay, I guess this is the thing. And so, before I moved in with the with the girls, I lived with Don and Amy, and their at that time their youngest son was still home. He was a senior in high school, and um, entering into their world, they just took they just showed me so much love. And and as a kid, still learning how to do. Like real world things just out of college and with my parents so far away, they taught me a lot of really, really practical things, like this is how you deal with bank accounts and this is how you do insurance, and this is how this thing works and they became like my aunt and uncle and then this other picture here, uh, this is my friend Vicky and her two her two youngest sons, uh, Jeremy and kent and uh They're really, really dear to my heart as well. They live in Minnesota. When I first moved up here, I lived with them. So Vicky was my neighbor in Kenya, and her daughter married my brother. So she's my brother's mother-in-law, my sister-in-law's mom. Um, All the above. We're related. (laughs) But uh, she has a bunch of kids. Her husband passed away a number of years ago. She's since remarried, but at the time I lived with her, she was a widow and uh, same deal like I wanted to move to Minnesota and she basically said like hey we'll put the boys we'll make the boys bunk up together you can have one of their rooms come live with us and I moved in with them and I lived in with them for over a year and that was such a gift for me like I would come home after work and just have somebody to talk to and tell my day to and Vicky always she's like a fabulous cook so there was always really good food but I also got to like be involved in the boys' life. I got to help with homework. I got to drive them to their soccer games. I got to, I got to be part of that that family's life. And my life changed because these people and other people have said, "Come share life with us. Come live with us." Um, these people invited me into their homes. But there have been other people who have said, "Come over for a meal. Come to this event." People who have said. Um, Hey, our kid is doing this thing. Do you want to come with us? Like, yeah, cool. And it's changed who I am as a person. And I'm sure it's scary and vulnerable. When you're moving in with somebody, you don't quite know what you're getting into, but it also is so healing and, and joyful. Um, and my brother Noah has been doing this. He's another example of someone who has really opened his home. So. He lives in North Minneapolis, and they had a woman move in recently with her baby who, her husband is over, he's out of the country, and he hasn't been able to get a visa in for over a year now, and so she's living with them, and it's great, like, we all hang out together, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, like, you're hosting somebody in your house, and... And then this past month, they had these friends who sold their house and didn't have a place to live anymore. So they said, hey, why don't you come live with us? So this couple and their three kids moved in. And so now in the house, there are five adults and six kids under age six. And it's like, Whoo! Um, And this situation with all of that will only be for one month, and then the, the family's moving out. But um, Noah was telling me, he was saying... You know, when we were kids, we always had people over. We hosted people who were in the hospital and needed a place to stay when they were recovering. We hosted people who were passing through the country. We hosted people who came to town for graduation and needed a place to spend the night. And we were always putting new sheets on the guest bed. And so Vicky's daughter is my sister-in-law, so Anna, her, her mom has shown the same thing, too. Vicky's always having people, and not just me. Like, the entire time I've known her, their house was always open. People were coming and going and spending the nights there and coming in for meals. They were always setting the table for an extra plate. And so Noah and Anna had both grown up seeing this modeled for them, and they said, let's do this. Let's open our house. So my point being, be open to these ways. I think when I was prepping for this, I I don't I don't want to let you guys off the hook <laughs> because some of these are are big things and I we don't all need to move into a community house together. That's not what I'm saying. But I would really, really push you to ask yourselves, should I? open my house like this? Should I move into a community house? I don't know, maybe that's, that's a step far, but like, I, I would challenge you to think about some more radical ways of opening your home and your life. Okay, number four, um, be vulnerable, ask for help. We might be comfortable on the, uh, on the end of community where we 're giving to other people, not so much comfortable on the end where we 're receiving. Yeah. My mom puts it like this. she says, um, you know when you go to the therapist and like the therapist is, sits in this chair and you sit in this chair and in this chair, you have to tell like, all the terrible things that are going on in your life, and in the therapist' chair, like, they have the, uh, the answers and the solutions." And my mom says she so much prefers to sit in the chair where you have the answers and the solutions and where you are generously giving advice and helping people. And she said, it's so much harder to sit in this this chair across from someone and say, like, I'm really struggling. I need help or I don't know what to do. She said, we always prefer to be in this chair. And we can think, I'm doing community great. Like, I bring meals to people. I take care of people. I help people. I pray for them. But let me tell you, if you're only in this chair all the time, and never in this chair, you're not actually living in community. To live in community, we need to be real and honest. We need to ask for help. We need to practice receiving as well as giving. Number five, we need to be praying for each other. When I talked about community being a place where we do our battles, praying is critical because our battles we are living in, in spiritual warfare, we're living in a world where most of what's going on we can't actually see and if we're not praying for each other we're missing out on a huge component of what community is so I have these strips of paper that I will somehow distribute to you guys this is one real practical take home that you can start doing today um, this is something I learned from my mom. If you take that paper, and you fold it in half, and then you or in, what are these? One, two, three, I told you math is not my strong suit. Four. Um, and kind of a Portian style in. You can make a prayer list for each day of the week. So this is mine that I keep in my Bible. In the front it says prayer list. And then I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So there's one slot for each one. And I have somebody from Roots on each day of my prayer list. Um, It feels a little overwhelming to me to think of praying through every person in the church every day. And so I just give people a day and then once a week I pray for that person. And I don't pray for everybody in my realm But I pick a few people who are in my community and then on Monday is this person's day and on Tuesday is this person's day. And I would encourage you guys to do that as just a simple tool. Maybe just try it out for this one week. Assign the the people that you want to be growing in community with. Also maybe assign some people who you're not quite fond of and stick them in there too. (laughs) Um, And use that as a way to build community. That acknowledges the spiritual reality of, of what we're at. So to close up, Um, I just wanted to mention one other thing that really struck me as I was getting this ready and it's out of an article that Naomi uh, put on our Facebook page it was something about community care versus self-care and it was saying that uh, to thrive we don't need just self-care we need community care and when I read the title of that article I was like oh yeah yeah that's cool like I love community care and then I started reading it and I started feeling like a lot of emotions and I really, I felt like I need to share this with you guys. And so, the gist of the article was that we put a lot of oomph and push on uh, self-care, like that's a thing that we hear a lot, and we don't talk so much about the ways that we need to be taking care of each other as, as a community. What I realized as I was going through this article is that like, the author who was writing this was presenting it as if it was like a brand new idea And uh, so the beginning of the article um, defines what community care is. It says, the term community care is known in social movements and in the nonprofit world, but has yet to move into mainstream culture. The concept shouldn't be hard to translate. Community care is basically any care provided by a single individual to benefit other people in their life. Community care can look like a lot of different things. Reaching out to somebody over text, grabbing groceries for someone, doing their dishes, watching their kids. I imagine it as an extended family where members are intimately connected to and routinely perform acts of compassion on behalf of one another. I agree with all those things. Where I started to feel sad and a little bit angry was as the article went on and it started talking about, this is hard to monetize, which is why people aren't grasping onto this. But it's okay, like we can spread this anyway. And then it was saying like, as popularity grows about community care, they'll make apps for it, it'll start showing up in the digital sphere. And then the last thing they said was like, governments can play a real role in popularizing and institutionalizing community care. So I had a couple different thoughts while I was reading this, and one of them was like, I felt like when I, there was this cereal brand when I was growing up that had on the side like instructions on how to make cereal, and it had like a little icon. It was like, pour cereal, pour milk, stir. And I felt like when I was reading this article that somebody was trying to explain to me how to put cereal together, because like this seems so obvious to me. So at first I was sort of like making fun of it, like ha ha ha, like we all know community. And then as I read further, I was like, oh, this is new to some people, like, this is kind of a radical idea, like, this article, this author is like, here's this amazing thing we can do to help take care of each other. And I was like, how have we gotten to the point that, like, we need somebody to explain this for us, and that we're thinking, like, is there a way we can get the government into community care? Like, this is us, church. This is our job. This—what What is wrong with our society if people are, like, sharing an article about living in community and explaining, like, community living is where you make a meal for someone (laughs) and text them if they need help. Like, this is how you pour cereal. Wow. it it, It makes me angry and it makes me sad. It makes me angry because I am sad. Because we shouldn't be at this place. But we have an opportunity. Because what does John 13 say? John 13 says, Everyone will know that you are my disciples by this, if you love one another. This is how we show the world that we belong to Jesus. We should be those weird people who text each other to see if we're okay and who make meals and who watch each other's kids and who loan each other cars and who show up at each other's events. This shouldn't be odd. This should be a part of our everyday lives. We're a community that sharpens each other. We grow and we change together. We fight together. We are healed together. We know each other's needs and we take care of each other. So. This list here, I want you to either write it down or go ahead and take a a picture with your phone. Because I want you now to think about where you are in your life and which one of these things strikes a chord with you. Maybe you feel like you have excuses that you hide behind. Maybe you feel like you don't really know how to pray for people. Maybe you feel like you need to be more intentional or purposeful. I want you to think about what does God have for you here on this list? Where do you feel encouraged as you think about these things? What maybe makes you feel nervous? Is there something on here that makes you feel uncomfortable? Think about that. Something that you need to pay attention to. I want you to take this list home today, and I want you to think about it, and I want you to pray about it, and I want you to commit to talking to somebody else who's in your circle about which one of these or more than one you can apply. Because this is our opportunity. This is where we get to shine. Where we can take care of each other in community and be there for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you that community is your idea, that you exist in community, and that you have invited us into the community of the Trinity, that we only understand what community is because you have shown us that. Jesus, we live in a world where people are starving for community where people are lonely, where people are hurting, where people are stuck in sin because they're not being pushed or challenged to grow. We pray that you would teach us and show us how we can form community so that we can grow into maturity and reflect your love so that we can help each other fight against the enemy. that we can take care of each other. Thank you again, Jesus. Show us what you have for us.